evening, everybody. How's it going? Um, I made a little mistake last time. It was only episode 7 of season 2 last time. Today is the actual mm. episode 8 of season 2. So, sorry for the misunderstanding. I know there's a bunch of you looking for episode 2. Sorry about that. Uh, but we got a jam-packed schedule today. Mm. Brock Guzzi's back and he's going to be talking mm. about spider Tack in the MLB. Corey Casaneda's back. He'll be talking about the NBA Finals matchup between the Milwaukee Bucks, who I am newly a fan of, and the Phoenix Suns, who I've been calling to win it all, all year, so I'm kind of in a pickle there. And then, as always, Tim Hackett's back, wrapping up, or potentially wrapping up, NHL talk. The final game is tonight, and by the way, all of these facts will be accurate as of 7.30, Monday, July 5th, 2021. So, we're going to hop right into things. The first thing on deck is going to be the breaking news for QB Trevor Lawrence, who signs a $36.8 million rookie contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's no no big shocker that he signs such a huge contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars because the Jaguars need a franchise quarterback and this is a guy who's been just on everybody's mind since the first day he broke into college. It's a four-year contract and it looks pretty good. If he plays the way that a lot of people expect him to play, he could be getting a lot more money. With Lawrence under contract, Jacksonville now has signed six of its nine draft picks, including the fellow Clemson running back, Travis Etienne, corner Tyson Campbell, and then offensive tackle Luke Little, or excuse me, Walker Little, being the only three who haven't been signed. So, you know, you'd like to see him get signed early while the money's still there, but you never know. They could be holding out for several different reasons until we get a final answer. All we know for sure is that Trevor Lawrence is signed. So the number one prospect for the last two years has been signed to the Jacksonville Jaguars for four years. Now we just have to wait a little bit longer to see him in action. Moving forward, today, June 5th, could be the last day for the Lightning and the Canadians. The Lightning are up 3-0 in the series right now, but I don't want to get too much into it. We're going to send it over to my main man, Tim Hackett, down in Kansas City. Tim, take it away. We're here in the 2021 Stanley Cup Final where it's three games down, and at this stage, maybe not that many more to go. Hey, Crock, it's Tim Hackett in Kansas City. Thanks, as always, for having me on the show. It's the Stanley Cup Final. It's my favorite time of year, but frankly, to this point, the Cup Final has been pretty disappointing. The Tampa Bay Lightning lead the Montreal Canadiens three games to none, and it has been all Tampa Bay so far through the first three games. I mean, if you're scoring a boxing match, every round gets scored, right? And it's entirely possible that the combatant who loses every round by points is still able to win the bout if they secure a knockout, for example. And so it's entirely possible that Montreal can win this cup final. I think that would be very hard for them to do, but it's entirely possible. It's not over yet, but if you're looking at it this like a boxing match, there have been nine rounds, right? Nine periods through three games. Tampa Bay has won almost all of them, if not all nine of those rounds. If you're being charitable, you might say Montreal has won one round. Maybe there's been a split decision in two, but Tampa Bay has far and away 
been the better team. I mean, look at it like this. Tampa has outscored the Habs 14-5 through the first three games of this series. That's the most lopsided first three games in a cup final since 1997. The Red Wings were ahead in that series three games to none. They ended up securing that series in a sweep. They also would sweep the next year as well, and that's the most recent sweep in the Stanley Cup final that we've seen, 1998. And we are on the verge of having that happen again here in 2021. Now, how have we got to this stage? Let's start from the net out. Carey Price, the Montreal goaltender, I by no means think all the blame rests on his shoulders, but to say that he needs to play better in the cup final is not saying enough. He was excellent, so good in the first three rounds. He is the biggest reason that Montreal is even here in the cup final, but he has not been nearly as good here in the cup final. I mean, look at it like this. Price gave up five goals in game three against Tampa Bay. Andre Vasilevsky, the Lightning goaltender, has given up five goals total in the first three games. Vasilevsky has been far and away the better of the two goaltenders, but more importantly, the teams outside of those two goaltenders have been just staunchly different. The Tampa Bay power play, we talked a lot about them going into it. They've only scored two power play goals, so it's not like they have been just bombastic on the man advantage. The Montreal penalty kill for the postseason is still operating at better than 90%, so they're doing a fine job with that, but on even strength, Tampa Bay is dominating, and they have done so from almost the jump. Tampa is getting offense from its defense consistently. Montreal is not unfamiliar with that. Remember, Vegas got offense from its defense, but the difference here is that the Golden Knights in their series against Montreal pretty much exclusively got offense from its defense. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay is able to get offense from everybody. Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point have still been very good, but the Lightning are still getting offense from their depth pieces, their bottom two lines. That is something that Montreal was very good at, especially with their fourth line through the first three rounds of the playoffs. But Tampa, as a team, is getting offense from everywhere. That's why I want to show you what I think is the goal of the postseason so far, with only a few more games left, right? The goal of the postseason so far, I got this clip from the NBCSN, it's Blake Coleman scoring at the very end of the second period of Game 2. The play all starts with a turnover right here. Blake Coleman forces Philip Dano, Montreal's best defensive forward, into a giveaway. Ryan McDonough sends it ahead to Barkley Goodrow. They're off to the races. Goodrow sends it across the net mouth, and Blake Coleman lays out to tap it in. But this is so much more than a tap-in, as you'll see on this backside view. First of all, with this much time left, you have to take better care of the puck. With less than 10 seconds left, you can't turn it over like this. And Barkley Goodrow makes this incredible play, chipping it past Ben Sherratt, gets another defenseman to crash on him and then look at this layout from Blake Coleman this is why this is the goal of the postseason he dives through Philip Dano smacks it through Carey Price and you'll see from this angle Price is way overplaying the shot on Goodrow look how far out of position he is he is still able to get over and get just a piece of the blocker on it but not enough and the worst thing about that goal from Montreal's perspective is it came at the very tail end less than a second left of a period in which they played really well. One of the few periods in this series that you can argue that Montreal won. Remember, we started this segment talking about how Tampa has dominated pretty much the whole series. Montreal looked really good in that period. It was a one-to-one -one tie, and then Coleman scores that goal with half a second left to put Tampa up 2-1 to -one going into the third. Goals at the start of a period can really derail a team because they change your whole philosophy and any sort of coaching plans that you had going into that period. But goals at the end of a period like that can be really demoralizing. Yeah, you go right into the locker room and can try to reframe, but it is hard to regroup, and it seems to me that it was really hard 
for Montreal to regroup after that one. Tampa added one more goal in the third period, and then they were excellent in Game 3, winning that one 6-3. to three. I think we've learned from Montreal this postseason that you can never count them out. Remember, they were down 3-1 to one in the first round against Toronto. They were down 2-1 to one in the third round against Vegas, coming back, obviously, to win both of those series. So I wouldn't count Montreal out. I would not be surprised if they win Game 4 on Monday, but I can't see them winning too many games after that. Thanks, Tim. I, too, was not expecting a sweep. You know, I'm still not expecting a sweep. But the Lightning are looking pretty good right now, and I don't think the Canadians can come back. They're not exactly the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers. So, with hockey all talked about and everything going good there, we're going to move to my personal side of the Bucks Suns. And as I've said, I am a newly made Bucks fan. I went to a Milwaukee game, Milwaukee Brewers game, while I was up there, you know, just hanging out, making a day of it, we ended up going, the Millers and I ended up going to Deer District. And I was hanging out there, having fun. And I said, hey, why not? I'll become a, you know, I'll become a Bucks fan. Why not? The Bulls aren't exactly setting the world on fire, and the Bucks are close enough. There's not a basketball team in Kansas City, so they're the next closest good team. And... I've gotten some comments about joining the bandwagon, and you know what? The seats are very comfortable on the bandwagon if anybody else wants to join. But looking at these things right now, I honestly think that the Bucks are not going to win the series because I've just been a fan of the Phoenix Suns the entire, the entire season. I love the way they can stretch the floor. Because they can hit those consistent three-point shots all season. It's not something that, you know, is new that's just come out of nowhere. And Milwaukee, Chris Middleton stepped up in a huge way. Knocking down threes, knocking down the mid-ranges. I mean, he stepped up huge. And you really just, you really can't say enough about it. But before I spoil it too much, let's send it over to Corey Casaneda. Corey, what's the big news here about the NBA Finals? Hey, Kruk. Thanks for having me back on the show for another episode of Crunch Time with Kruk. We have the NBA Finals matchup set. It's going to be Bucks versus Suns, so I'll be talking about that. I'm going to do an introduction to the Suns and then the Bucks, and I'm going to talk about the matchup that we have. Phoenix got a little lucky in the first round with Anthony Davis being injured for the Lakers. They then got lucky in the second round with Jamal Murray not being able to play, and then obviously Nikola Jokic getting ejected for that flagrant foul. I don't think that flagrant foul necessarily impacted the game, but it was kind of lucky for them, too. In the third round, they got lucky against the Clippers with with Kawhi Leonard being out with that knee injury. But overall, they did fight hard to get there, and they deserve it, in my opinion. The Suns were also to beat up for on their, on their team. Devin Booker had a broken nose. Chris Paul was out the first two games of the Clippers series with COVID. He also had a shoulder injury. Campaign had an ankle injury and Cameron Johnson had illness. So the Suns were also a little beat up too. Phoenix had a big game from Chris Paul in that game six along with a big game from Devin Booker in that game one. Devin Booker had 40 points without Chris Paul in that game one. He put up a triple-double in that game and followed it up with 20 points. 
Chris Paul and Devin Booker haven't had any big games together with 40 points or more so far in the series, in the last series. But I think if they do put up that many points together, then it'll definitely be an easy win for them in that game. Switching over to the Bucks side of things. The Bucks beat the Heat in four games. They swept them. It took them a bit to beat the Nets. They beat them in seven. It came down to last second shot in overtime for that game seven, but they finished them. They also finished off the Hawks in six games with Giannis being hurt for the last two. They split those last two games with Atlanta who played very explosively in that Game 5 before getting blown out in Game 6. Trey Young was not in for that Game 5 and played injured in that Game 6, but despite the effort from the Hawks and Trey Young, they were outlasted by the Bucks. Drew Holiday also had a pretty big series for the Bucks against Atlanta. He scored almost 20 in, it, in each game except for that Game 3. Game 4 is the only game where he had double digits but didn't score 20. He had 19 in that Game 4. Game 4 also wasn't Giannis' night. He had 14 points and so was just getting heated up when he got injured with that, when he hyperextended his leg. It also didn't seem to be Chris Middleton's day. He went 0 for 7 from 3 but finished with 16 points. It was overall just a low scoring game for the Bucks with most of their scores not shooting that well. But they were able to bounce back and win Game 6 after losing Game 5 to the Hawks. Drew Holiday came back with 27 points and Chris Middleton came back with 32 points. And Giannis obviously didn't play so he wasn't able to redeem himself. But I do think he'll have a big Game 1 because for the most part in these playoffs he's had big Game 1s. Switching over to the Bucks suns matchup type thing. I think that it'll be a pretty good matchup. The Phoenix Suns won the regular season matchup by one point each. They won the series 2-0 in the regular season. If Giannis has a big game for the Bucks and Drew Holiday scores at least 15 points, I think that the Bucks will, will be in it. But also, if the Suns have at least Chris Paul or Devin Booker having a big game, then it'll also be, they'll also be in it. I think this is where ultimately Chris Middleton's big third quarter runs will come into play for the Bucks. He's able to heat up in the third quarters, pushing the lead for them or getting back into the game. It'll also be an advantage for them because the regular season, Phoenix won by only one point in each game. Overall, my prediction is I think that the Suns will win in six or seven games, but I think it'll definitely be close for each of the games. Love it, Corey. Love how you broke it down so well. It was easy to understand and everything. Thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, it's it's fun having you on and talking basketball because you can break it down so that way everybody knows and it's not hard to understand. Coming up is the Tokyo Olympics. You know, it was supposed to be in 2020 due to COVID-19. It is pushed back into 2021 this year. And some of the prelims are going on, you know, making their way in there. Uh, Luca, Luca's Nation just qualified for it. Uh, Thomas Sadoransky with the Bulls, his team just qualified for it. The men's basketball team for the USA, I'm pretty sure they're they're all set to go. And it's it's looking like it's gonna be a fun matchup going on. Making sure. Make sure you definitely get to watch those.
the match, or excuse me, not the matchup, but what we're going to take a peek at is the U.S. Olympics men's basketball roster. You'll see the picture on your screen. This was taken from ESPN on Instagram. Their team consists of Bam Adebayo, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Jeremiah Grant, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Zach Levine, Damian Lillard, Kevin Love, Chris Middleton, and Jason Tatum. Now, out of these starting, out of all these players, who would be my personal starting five? I'm going to have to go with Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal. No, not Bradley Beal. I'm just going to go Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Bam out of bio. That would have to be my starting five. And the rest of the players are respectively good. But those five players have always been good. And Bam out of bio at center may be a little bit undersized, but his athletic ability allows him to play with a power forward build, but at the center position because of how high he can jump, how fast he is. And, you know, just around all around more athletic than other centers. And I think that's going to be one of the main things to watch here at the 2021 Basketball Olympics. Just exactly how athletic the players are. Because nowadays, 3 and D, you know, we transferred into a 3 and D type of basketball situation for a while. But nowadays, we have players coming out who just want to throw the ball down as hard as they can, kind of like Vince Carter. So you want to keep your eyes out for that. Moving forward, the MLB has started cracking down on the spider tack as usual. So we're going to send it to Brock. Brock, you've been away for a couple of weeks. So, you know, don't want to get you too nervous back on the podcast, but... Tell us about the spider tech. What do we need to know and who's using it? How's it going, everybody? Uh, Brock again to talk a little baseball. Uh, haven't been on in a couple of weeks, but there sure has been a lot that's happened within baseball. Uh, you know, players, specific players playing really well. You know, Shohei Otani, first, uh, ever, uh, first ever baseball player to be voted in the All-Star game as a pitcher and a hitter. So uh, almost, you know, two separate players going in as one. Um, uh, you know, he's leading the league in home runs, got 32. He's batting 280. Had a rough outing his last week. Uh, you know, he think he gave up, I want to say it was seven in the first inning, but you know, he's still got a sub four ERA. I think he's three and one. So, I mean, MVP for Shohei, at least so far, you would have to think he's winning the AL MVP race. Um, uh, besides Shohei though, there's been a, the most of the developments have been, uh, you know, the spider tech foreign substances debates and not even a debate anymore. You know, the, the MLB front office has uh, implemented the umpires having to go out and check uh, pitchers between every inning, um, you know, checking their hat, checking their glove, belts, hands, forearms, just to see if there's something sticky. And it's kind of a tough place for umpires. You know, they've never had to do this. And I mean, what, I mean, there's not really a good rule for it. I mean, what's considered sticky? I know, I mean, me playing sports a lot of the time, I know, you know, my sweat's not super sticky, but it can definitely, you know, 
have a, some sort of a tacky feel to it. And I mean, is our players going to be thrown out of the game just because they've got a little extra sweat and sunscreen, you know? I mean, I don't think there's a great way to test it, you know? I mean, uh, you know, spider tech and that type, pine tar, that's the easy stuff to tell. Um, but, you know, the MLB doesn't even want the sunscreen and rosin anymore. And sunscreen and rosin is, of course, sticky, but that's been being used for years on end. Spider tech and the new stuff, that's... That's what's really affecting the baseballs and having hitters, hitters in circles. Um, you know, one of the pitchers that has seen a real decline since the um, umpires have been implementing this, and we sort of suspected it, was uh, Garrett Cole. He's seen uh, a major decrease in his RPMs, you know, the R rotations per minute in his pitches. Or, uh, yeah, rotations per minute. Um, he also, I just got an update for Otani. Let's see. Yep, Otani will pitch and hit in the home run derby, like I just said. So that'll be pretty exciting. Uh, that'll That's in Colorado. He's in the home run derby. But, you know, going back. But going back to the spider tech, Garrett Cole. Um, his RPM's dropping. He's giving up a lot of runs. He's getting hit hard. The Yankees as a team are struggling uh, heavy, you know, falling, falling behind in those NL East or AL East uh, standings. You know, he Garrett Cole's not the only guy that have seen a, you know, even team. The Yankees aren't the only team that have seemed to struggle a little bit since, you know, this uh, whole mandate's come out. One of those teams being my favorite team, the Cubs. Uh, you know, the Cubs are a little different than the Yankees. We weren't expected to be so great this year. But it is, it is a you know, you do question that right when, uh, you know, these umpires are going out and checking, uh, checking the pitchers that all of a sudden the Cubs lose 10 in a row. Yeah, I mean... You never know. I mean, baseball's baseball. Stuff happens, but you never know if there's some correlation. You know, another guy on the other side of the city, Lucas Giolito, he gave up a home run in the first inning to uh, Josh Donaldson, and Josh Donaldson's run across home plate yelling at his guys, uh, there's no more sticky stuff. He's not sticky anymore. And, uh, you know, he said it real loud, so Giolito, of course, of course, heard it. He's only 60 feet, six inches away. Uh, after the game, he was asked about it and kind of, kind of, not even kind of. He called Josh Donaldson a punk. He didn't like it. He's like, if you got something to say, say it to my face. Um, Giolito was kind of one of those guys that, if you had to bet, he was probably using foreign substance. Uh, you know, he had gotten hurt a couple of years prior, came back this year. His RPMs were up a little bit on a lot of his pitches. Um, so, you know, that's the signs were there. But, again, you don't really ever want to accuse anyone. But, uh yeah, if guys that are guys have seen offenses up a ton. Pitchers are just having a tough time. Home runs are you know starting to go back up to what they were a couple of years ago, uh, and you know you you have to think it's all due to this this spider tech mandate. You know, uh, a lot of uh, YouTubers, podcasters are starting to you know get, even get their hands on actual spider tech and they're they're feeling it out. They're testing it, and it's. It's true in almost all cases. Uh, a fifth grader can get extra spin on his ball using spider tech, uh, let alone an MLB player. So, you know, that's kind of where we stand right now. There's, uh, you know, it's kind of been a little quieter the last couple of weeks. Like I said, it seems like pitchers are starting to get a little more used to the, the umpire checks. Um, but again, let, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like the most effective way. Umpires are getting put in a tough spot, having to check and, you know, umpire something that they've never had to umpire before they're not not saying they're not educated about it but they really might not be too educated about it having to make these big decisions in front of a 
you know, a national audience that, you know, it's a big deal. So, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out the next couple of weeks and the rest of the season and how it happens. Thanks again. Great to have you back on the show, Guzzi. And it's always nice to talk about illegal substances in sports. But while we got this time, I'm going to break down once again the standings for you in the MLB. So in the American League, the Red Sox are leading the East, followed by the Blue Jays, excuse me, followed by the Tampa Bay Rays, who are four and a half games back, the Blue Jays, who are eight and a half games back, the Yankees, who are ten games back, and then the Orioles, as usual anymore, who are 25 and a half games back. In the Central, it's a lot closer than in the East. The White Sox are leading. The Indians following by six games. Detroit, 11 and a half back. Kansas City, who was off to a hot start, is now 14 games back. And then the Minnesota Twins, 14 and a half games back. The West, a little bit closer, but then the Rangers kind of blow it at the bottom. The Astros are leading the AL West, followed by the A's, who are three and a half back. The Mariners, who are seven back. And then the Angels, who are nine back. The Texas Rangers are 18 and a half games out of first in the division. It might be time to start cleaning house if you're the Rangers. Now looking at the National League. In the East, one of the closest divisions, the Mets are leading it. The Braves are three and a half games back. Washington Nationals, thanks to a lot of Kyle Schwarber home runs and a Trey Turner cycle, only four games out of first. The Philadelphia Phillies are four and a half back. So three teams in a matter of two games. And then, as always, the Miami Marlins, nine games back. In the Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are leading the division, followed by the Reds, who are seven games back, the Chicago Cubs, who are eight and a half back, the Cardinals, who are ten back, and then the Pirates, who are 20 back. And for one of the most exciting divisions in baseball this year, the NL West, the Giants of all people, are leading it. The Dodgers are half a game back. The Padres are four and a half back. The Rockies are 17 back. And then the Diamondbacks, well, they're 31 and a half games back. And I mean, it's, I'd hate to be mean, but it's pretty much over for them. They reached 60 L's before they got 25 wins. But just breaking it down right there, the Brewers were on a 10-game winning streak and then ended up losing it to, I believe it was, the Pirates. The Cubs have been on a slide of recent. They've been losers of the last nine games. The Cincinnati Reds swept the Cubs and are currently on a four-game winning streak. Looking at some other streaks in baseball right now. The Orioles are currently on a three-game losing streak. The Tigers are on a two-game winning streak. The Astros and the Angels are both on four-game winning streaks. And then the Dodgers are on nine-game winning streaks. The Giants are on a three-game winning streak. And the Rockies are on a two-game winning streak. So... It's looking kind of good, kind of bad some places. The overall breakdown of who would be 
in first out of the NLAL overall, all of the MLB. The Giants are number one. The Dodgers, Red Sox, Astros, and Brewers round out the top five. Five, or excuse me, six through ten go White Sox, Padres, Rays, Athletics, and then the Mets. And as always, we'll break down the bottom five for you. That coming in at the bottom, the Diamondbacks, and working our way back up, the Orioles, Pirates, Rangers, and Twins. Not looking all that good for a lot of teams, but if you are a true dedicated fan, which I'd like to consider myself as, taking a look at the home and road splits, certain teams have been playing a lot better on the road than at home. You take a look at the Blue Jays, and they play a lot better on the road than at home. So that could be something to look out for. If they make a wild card seed, they'd be playing a lot of games on the road. But until next time, we're going to cut this one short today. I got moved to first shift, so I really got to make sure I catch up on some sleep. Until next time, this is Crunch Time with Cruck. Make sure you water your plants. Don't let them die. My mother loves plants, and if she hears about plants dying, she'd probably get sad. Until next time, this is Crunch Time with Cruck. See ya.